Thank you, Anna Hong. Why? When so many people are fasting, why? Whose water is this? Why is it half drank? Half drank, half drank. Is that right? Half drunken. Half drunken doesn't sound right either. Uh, let's, uh, I just want to honor and give it up for uh, Pastor John Newfell. He's been leading worship for four nights straight. Where did it go? Where did it go? He went to the restroom? Oh, I wouldn't blame him. He's been leading worship for four nights straight. There he is. Let's honor Pastor John again. Yeah, he led worship at Thursday's uh, K1 House of Prayer. Then on Friday at the Good Friday service, the joint Good Friday service we had. And then Saturday at the joint prayer meeting last night. And then today, leading worship for our Sunday service. He is, he is a Mennonite. <laughs> a true Mennonite in whom there is no guile. Very thankful for you, John. Very thankful for you. Uh, at this time, I also want to uh, appoint and publicly anoint uh, a community care pastor that's going to be added to the Hillside community care pastor team. So right now we have Pastor G. She, she has been serving here at Hillside as a community care pastor. She's been meeting up with different people, uh, following up on people that uh, may be missing church or have different issues that we, we're not really alert of. She's been really following up, doing a great job. But uh, there's only one of her, and there's you know hundreds of you, so you know, we're going to be installing another community care pastor here today. All right. And so, Joanna, why don't you come out? Joanna O. It's me. All right. Joanna is relatively new to our church, uh, but because uh, she has served on staff with Campus Crusade like I have, uh, she knows my pain. No, she knows, she knows the, she's walked a mile in my shoes in one sense. And though, you know, we have that kind of camaraderie. Camaraderie. You can see, I've been living in Korea for six years. All right. And so I'm just going to anoint her with this oil and just kind of appoint and install her publicly as a community care pastor at our church. And she will be beginning today. So you can come up to her and ask her for prayer after the service. Uh, and she will be meeting up with y'all here and there. All right. Father, I just thank you for our sister Joanna. And with this oil, I just anoint her. And I just appoint her to the role of community care pastor here at New Philadelphia Church at Hillside. We thank you for the way you've created her. And that this is not uh, an act of uh, volunteerism or an act of man assigning her to a specific role that needs to be met. Uh, but this is in following with and discovering the way you have made her. And we just thank you that she has a big shepherd's heart. And she has experiences and gifts that she's been developing uh, in just counseling people and advising people and praying for people. And I just thank you right now that there's greater clarity coming as she steps up into this role. Greater clarity to prophesy. Greater clarity to pray. Greater clarity for wisdom. 
And uh, we just thank you that God, Lord, she's going to be serving in this way and in this role. And we just bless and honor her as she begins her service here. We thank you for her. Fill her with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay, Tisha. Oh, you got me? Okay. What nap, right? Okay. That's the way we do it here. What naps? You got oil, you got, you got to get a wet nap. All right. This is the prettiest vial of anointing oil. Is this, what is this? Who gave you this? Who lent us this? We just found it. What the? What if it's, what if it's like been, been set apart for something else? Oh, okay, you prayed. All right. It's consecrated. It's consecrated. So let's prayers. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, turn with me. We're going to begin at John chapter 19 today. Let's turn to John chapter 19. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version of the Bible. And we will be looking at scripture today. So I'm going to need you to keep your Bible open. John chapter 19 verses 28 through 37. I'm going to begin by looking at that text together. Happy Easter, by the way. Jesus was sent to the world. Jesus lived. Jesus ministered. Jesus died, and the good news is, not only did he die, that's part of the good news, but the good news wouldn't be complete without him being resurrected. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. You cannot produce the body of Jesus Christ. No one. It is impossible to find his bones, to find bone fragments, to find any teeth, because Jesus is alive. And so that's what we celebrate today here on Easter. Um, Before we do that, I'm going to look at John chapter 19, verse 28 to 37. And we're going to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. Look with me. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he's hanging on the cross here, to fulfill the scripture, says, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Everybody say, it is finished. finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Stay with me here. Verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. We're going to take a pause there. If you guys know uh, anything about the crucifixion story and account, Jesus was not crucified alone. In fact, he was crucified with two criminals surrounding him on both sides. In fact, there's one account in the Gospels where Jesus has a conversation with the two criminals while all three of them are hanging on the cross. At this point in John's Gospel account, the Roman soldiers go up to the other two criminals that have been crucified. And when they go up to them, 
they find that they are both alive. Now, one thing you got to know about the crucifixion is the crucifixion was a form of torture. It actually didn't kill you. It was not designed to kill you. If anything, it was designed to result in a slow and painful death. And so in that sense, it doesn't really equate to an electric chair. Because the electric chair is supposed to take care of you kind of within a few minutes. Maybe the longest electrocution in the chair, I think, was, I don't know, 12 minutes or something. I don't know. Somebody who was really, really big, like football player size. I don't know. But electrocution, even an electric chair, doesn't last that long. Lethal injection is even more instant than that. But the cross is different in the sense that the cross, it didn't end up killing you most of the time. And as you can see here, right, uh, they were running out of time because they wanted to honor the Jewish Sabbath. And so they went up to these two criminals. And they were still alive. They're bleeding, but they, they've been bleeding so long that the blood is probably crusted up on their hands and on their feet. And they're hanging there. They're fully alive. And so what did the Roman soldiers do in order to finish them off? The Bible says here, verse 32, the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. So this is a very violent scene. They bring some kind of metallic or wooden paddle that's got nice blunt force on it. And they just whack their legs. Make sure that the legs are broken. And when the legs are broken, what happens is, you see, um, I've heard so many uh, physiological uh, accounts of what the crucifixion was like. And I remember growing up that um, it was a lot of pastors, Korean American pastors used to teach that it's a myth that Jesus was crucified with nails being pierced in his hands. And they used to teach that that's physiologically impossible because if you put nails through your hands, it will rip right through the bones of your hand. And, you know, then you would have ripped up hands rather than nail pierced hands. And so they would use, they used to teach that actuality, they used to crucify people by nailing them on their wrist. And therefore, your wrists have more strength. Uh, the bone there is more stronger. And so as you're nailed there on the wrist, you're able to pull yourself up and breathe. And that's how the uh, criminals were able to keep, keep on. Keep, they were still alive by the time they went up to break their legs. Now, um, I used to believe that. I stopped believing that. <laughs> One is because of the prophecies that talk about uh, Jesus. But another is... Physiologically, it's not impossible that he was nailed onto his hands. Why? Because you've got to remember, he had nails through his feet. Okay? And so you have to connect here, right? The reason why they broke the legs is because the legs were what the criminals used to use primarily to breathe. Okay? So they would just kind of prop themselves up with the power of the legs and get enough to breathe while their hands are like, I don't know, getting pretty ripped up. Now, in, in Mel Gibson's account of the Passion of Christ... I mean, those nails were so big at the end of the movie. I, I don't, I don't want to ruin the movie for y'all, but you just have to read the Bible to ruin the movie. So here, let me ruin it for you. At the end of the movie, <laughs> when Jesus resurrects, uh, Mel Gibson takes a shot of his hands, and there's a huge hole in his hands. So I guess for Mel Gibson, he interpreted that they used like mega huge size, mega size nails. Um, regardless of whatever really happened, when they broke the legs, criminals that were crucified would die within a few minutes. Why? Because they would suffocate to death. 
They, they weren't able to use their legs to support themselves. And just soon after, they would suffocate to death. All right? So that's what's going on here with why they broke the legs. All right? It wasn't like, ah, oh, you broke my legs. Oh, I can't make it no more and I'm going to die. Like the pain of my legs are going to no, It's because they were getting suffocated. Let's look at verse 34. I'm, 33, 33. I'm sorry for the guests in here. I have a very like uh, inappropriate sense of humor. <laughs> so I just want to apologize in advance if I seem offensive. Yeah, actually, um, our brother Diddy and our sister Hewan got engaged last Sunday. <clears throat> and Diddy and Hewan have been uh, encouraging me when I officiate their wedding to be as offensive as possible. <laughs> we'll see how your parents take it. Actually, Diddy's parents have been at our church several times, and they love my offensive humor because they live in Queens, New York. Anyway, now let's get back to the passage. Verse 33. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers... Now, why was Jesus already dead? Well, we read earlier, um, he said it is finished, and then he gave up his spirit. All right, so he's already dead by now. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Blood and water. Now, if somebody, if I took, I think I went over this before. If I took a spear and I pierced Larry Kim's side, what do you think will flow out? Blood. And lots of it. That'll just be blood and more blood and more blood. You can try looking for water. You ain't going to find it. It's going to be blood. Okay. But when they pierced the side of Jesus, they, were, they distinctly saw blood and water. Why? Because scientists say that the majority of your, uh, your body's weight is actually water weight. It's liquid weight. So when your heart stops beating because you're dead, the blood and the water no longer mix together. So that when you get pierced, you can distinctly see blood come out. You can see water come out. So the, the reason why the, the Apostle John puts this into his gospel account, it is a confirmation. It is one way in which the Roman soldiers confirmed whether a person that was on the cross was truly dead or not. You pierced him in the side and you check it out. Is there blood and is there water? That means their heart stopped beating. That means they're completely dead. So we got to get it in our heads and make no mistake about it. No matter what articles are written out there about Jesus, he didn't really die. You know, he was a strong man. He was a carpenter, son of a carpenter. He was a strong man. He didn't actually die. He swooned and he fainted and then they buried him and then he woke up and then somehow he was able to roll away this huge stone. Even though he was all bleed, he had bled and, and, and was whipped all across his body, you know. No matter what people write articles about, we got to understand that the gospel accounts here make it clear that Jesus was dead. Okay? So look at verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. All right. So Jesus 
was crucified and he died and he was buried. And we, we say that on the Apostles' Creed. The reason why the Apostles' Creed includes these three things. He was crucified, died, and was buried. Why? It's because there were heresies in the early church that tried to say that Jesus wasn't really dead. That he wasn't really buried. Right? And so we have these accounts that, that show us that he truly was. All right? Now... So Jesus dies, he's buried, and then let's go to um, let's go to Luke's gospel account, Luke chapter twenty-three. Go to Luke chapter twenty-three. I'm sorry, Luke chapter twenty-four. All right, Jesus dies, he's buried, and then third day. Bunch of women go to the tomb where Jesus was buried, and they were taking spices uh, to prepare and to kind of rewrap his body so they can preserve his body a little longer. And they go and they do not find the body. In fact, when they arrive, the stone is already rolled away. And instead, they find they, they see a couple angels there telling them, "Why are you looking for the living among the dead?" Right? And these women, they, they have this very strange experience with uh, this angelic beings. And these angelic beings tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, the interesting thing is, look at verse 10 of Luke 24. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So the women see these things and they go tell the apostles. But look at verse 11. These words seemed to them an idle tale and did not believe them. Man, isn't that a shame? To this day, men of God do not take serious the testimonies of women. I think it's really interesting that God chose to show forth evidence of his resurrection first to women. It's almost like God's like, hey, what they are saying is true. Learn to listen to them. Amen? Amen, ladies? Yeah, amen. (laughs) Men need to listen to what we have to say. Now, uh, Peter goes, you know, he gets up along with a couple of disciples and they go and they rush to the tomb and they find that it's indeed empty. And then we have, according to the Gospel of Luke, we have, right after that, we have two men. One guy's named Cleopas, and the other guy, we don't know what his name is. But they're walking from Jerusalem down to a town called Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey, so it's a, quite a bit of a walk. And as they are walking down to Emmaus, Jesus appears to them on the road. But the thing is, they don't know that it's Jesus. And Jesus is walking with them, and he's like, hey, what y'all talking about? And they're like, man, where you been? Stranger, where you been? Partner, where you been? Didn't you hear about all that just happened? This guy, Jesus, he got crucified. And then there's all these things where he claimed that he would be resurrected, and then 
the other day, uh, the women uh, went to the tomb and found the tomb empty and said that they, they saw angels that told them that he was alive. And then, and then our, uh, our Peter and John went and they found that the tomb was indeed empty. Man, we don't know what to make of all this. And this is, they're telling this to Jesus. And Jesus walks along on the road to Emmaus and then he stops and he opens up the scriptures to them. And the Bible says in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And even up until this point, they do not realize that it's Jesus who's giving them this Bible study. Right? And they keep going, and then they have a meal. And as the bread is being broken, verse 31 says, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. So, what happens? These guys on the Emmaus Road, they just experience this incredible encounter with Jesus. They are blinded from understanding who he really was until the very end. And then right when they recognize him, Jesus disappears. So, what did, what did they do? They don't go to Emmaus. They come all the way back to Jerusalem. And this is where our main text picks up. All right, this is our main text today. is Luke 24, verse 36. I want to look at the main text. Look at verse 36 and 37. As they were talking about these things, this is talking about the two guys that came off of Emmaus. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Boo! (laughs) I mean, he pretty much did the same thing as saying boo. Because here they are talking about Jesus. I think, yeah, we did see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we saw these angels and they said he was alive. And I think one of the angels, maybe the angel was Jesus. I don't know. But we saw, we just saw him. We just came from Maus. And they're talking about Jesus. And then Jesus all of a sudden appears and says, peace to you. <laughs> they're like, what God, what, what? <laughs> That's Jesus. Jesus? Is that you? You know, I, there no peace, you know, here. It's, it started the crap out of them. Verse 37, the Bible says, they were startled and frightened and they saw, they thought they saw a spirit. In the King James Version of this, they thought they saw a ghost. And he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. What the Bible is trying to teach us through this account is that Jesus' resurrection was physical, it was tangible. It was not a spirit resurrection like some of the heresies used to teach. Jesus resurrected in the flesh. And it says here distinctly that these disciples who were gathered here, they thought they were looking at a ghost. So Jesus, knowing that doubts were arising in their heads, they said, well, look at my hands and my feet. And they shows them his hands and his feet. So it's not some lookalike that looks like Jesus. That got in through some secret trap door and is trying to make a big old prank on them. He shows them the scars. 
Now the cool thing is, keep reading here, right? Verse 41. While, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. That is a weird sentence, right? They were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Okay. I, I didn't do the word studies here, so I don't know what that's all about. But they were like, they're like is it him? Yeah, they're still in disbelief, but like, they're like so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you, but is it you? And then it's all mixed. I think there was something going on here. Marveling. They're still thinking this must be a ghost. We're seeing things. We're, delus- we're delusional because we just went through such a trauma. All right. And then here, check this out. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Peter, hey. You know I love the way you bro that fish. <laughs> Come on, you got something to eat? The Bible says they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And then in the, um, the note there, some manuscripts add, and some honeycomb. Broiled fish and honeycomb. I've never had broiled fish and honeycomb. But the closest thing I can think of is chicken and waffles. <clears throat> Jesus had that ghetto, he had that ghetto taste. You know what I mean? He knew how to mix the salty with the sweet. Roscoe's chicken and waffles. If you go to California, you know what I mean. <clears throat> you got to check it out. It's like, it's like part of the California experience to get chicken and waffles. My wife didn't let me take her to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Next time, I'm taking you, honey. All right, you are going to submit, all right? (laughs) But anyway, Jesus is eating broiled fish and honeycomb. And the Bible says he took it and ate before them. So if, if they had any doubts by now, whether he's a ghost or not, they know clearly that a ghost cannot eat broiled fish and honeycomb. All right. He took it and ate it before them. In other words, Jesus ain't vegetarian. This is a powerful revelation. I want you to let this sink in. Jesus is not vegetarian. And this is not, I don't have anything against vegetarians. If that is your choice, if that is a health choice, that's up to you. God bless you in that, but hey, don't try to put that on me, all right? I want to be like Jesus. And Jesus ate meat. Hallelujah. And I, and I am of the faith, personal faith, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be meat. I mean, heaven wouldn't be heaven without meat, amen? And what if we go up there and all they got is bread and veggies and fruit? I will be like... What the? Give me some meat, Jesus. Give me some Brazilian barbecue. Some Argentinian barbecue. Give me some chicken and waffles. Fried chicken, give me, give me something. Give me some meat. Anyway, Jesus is not vegetarian. Jesus loves meat. He loves meat. In fact, there's another scene uh, after the resurrection where uh, Peter's fishing, right? And Peter's like, Jesus, is that you? And he starts like walking back. To, he starts running back to shore. And what do they find? What, what does he find Jesus doing? He's broiling fish. I'm telling you, Jesus loved that fish. <laughs> He's not a vegetarian. He loves meat. He loves meat. And, uh, but I want to take that word meat and, and look at it figuratively. Um, look at verse 44 to 45. 
Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So after Jesus eats some meat, he feeds the disciples meat. He feeds them like real meat. He doesn't give them a message, do your quiet time. No, he gets into the scripture and, and I'm, I'm, I'm confident that he opened up the scriptures here. And he spent time just going from verses, sections to sections, showing how all of the Old Testament scripture were actually fulfilled in Christ. Jesus eats meat, then he feeds them meat. And Jesus wants each and every one of you not to just feed on milk. He wants you to get into the meat of his word. You know, all of us, we cannot just survive on the basic sermon of do your quiet time. Have your quiet time. I mean... I was in my biblical preaching class, and I had to listen to my classmates preach. And the majority of my classmates, you know what their basic message was? Have your quiet time. Meet with Jesus. And that's a very powerful and important message. Don't get me wrong. But if that's the only message that's being preached from the pulpit, all you're giving people is milk. But here, Jesus, right after the resurrection, what does he do? He starts feeding his disciples meat. He starts to challenge their understanding of the Old Testament and starts to open up revelation that they didn't even see before. And he starts to feed them meat. You know, um, in the physical realm, athletes who do a lot of intensive physical, uh, when they put a lot of physical strain on their body, like, like football, uh, like basketball, like hockey, a lot of these athletes, they cannot afford to be vegetarian. You know that? Because when you tear up your muscle or you work out or you're doing practice and you, you, you know, you, you're working out your muscle, in order for your muscle to be recovered and restored, and when it's restored to be even stronger than it was before, you need to have protein. And the strongest source of protein contrary to what vegetarians may teach, is not soy. <laughs> it's called whey protein. Right? And, and you get whey protein, um, I believe it's derived from like eggs and dairy products. That's my understanding. It's like derived from eggs and dairy products. But make a long story short, you need to eat the tuna, you need to eat the red meat, because you know red meat, you know, a lot of athletes supplement with this thing called creatine. But, you know, creatine is naturally found in red meat. When you eat a good chunk of red meat, you get like three to four grams of creatine right there. Right? And uh, athletes need this. And what I'm saying is where athletes can't afford to be vegetarian, neither can we when it comes to the word of God. We can't just nibble and chew and take a little fork and let me just eat a little psalm here and a little, little, little proverbs there. Let me get a little crouton here. No, it's like you need to get a knife and fork and you got to be like, what is this? 
and cut into the meat and dig into it. And sometimes meat, it makes you chair. It makes you get indigestion. But meat's not easy to digest. My doctors, because I, I used to have poor digestion, doctors used to tell me you can't eat meat no more. And I was like, why just go tell me to jump off the bridge? It's the same thing. What do you mean? I can't eat meat no more. Do something. Fix it. They're like, no, you can't eat meat no more. Your digestive system's not strong enough. And I said, I rebuke you, devil. You're a liar. And I prayed. I prayed for like two, three years. And my, my stomach got stronger and stronger. I could eat meat. My burps might smell a little funny, but I could still eat meat. <laughs> no, but meat, meat is hard to digest. Meat is hard to digest. But you know, that's all right. We need to still learn how to take the meat. And sometimes when you want the real, nice, juicy, yummy meat, you got to learn how to eat around the bones. Some Christians try to eat the meat of God's word, and then they, they hit a bone, and they start choking on that bone, and they're like, <laughs> I'm never doing that again. Now, we need to learn how to eat the meat throughout the bones. What I'm trying to say, my basic message is we cannot afford to be vegetarian. We are in a war. We have been called and commissioned to do the will of God here on this earth. We are like athletes competing for the championship. And the more we work together, united as one body, as one team, the more effective we are in coming against the enemy's schemes. But we need athletes in the church. Athletes, I tell you. Are you an athlete in the spirit realm? Is what I'm asking you. Hallelujah. So let's look at some of the meat that Jesus may have covered with the disciples here in this account. Because he mentions the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Meaning that the gospel writer Luke here, whoever he, he interviewed, the eyewitness that he interviewed, they indicated that Jesus at least covered all three of these major sections of the Old Testament. Uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse 43 to 47. <clears throat> Check this out. Exodus 12, verse 43 to 47. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Ouch. No foreigner or higher servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine Jesus opening up Exodus 12, reading this passage, and being like, Hey, y'all, do you see it? That's talking about me. They're like, what are you talking about? Jesus is talking about the Passover lamb. That's talking about the Passover lamb. Passover lamb. Yeah, let's talk about me. I'm the Passover lamb. And the reason why the guards did not break my bones, where he broke the bones of the other two criminals, was to fulfill the scriptures. All right, so they're like, wow, that was cool. Show us something else. Um. 
Well, Numbers 9 has pretty much the same similar passage. Numbers 9, verse 11 and 12. In the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones according to all the statute for the Passover. They shall keep it. And Jesus is like feeding them this meat and showing them that these scriptures are talking about him. And, you know, this, the disciples, you know, they're like, man, whatever, Jesus, how's this talking about you? And then he, he opens up their eyes. He opens up their minds, it says in the, uh, the Luke account. He opens up their minds. There's a grace, there's an inner grace that takes place. You know, holy, that's probably the Holy Spirit working there. And all of a sudden, they're able to see that indeed these scriptures are actually not just talking about a ritual. You know, we read this. I mean, when's the last time you looked at Numbers 9 and Exodus 12 and you were reading it and you stopped and said, that's Jesus? I don't think so. Most of us just read right through that and like, oh, yeah, 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 da-da-da-da, these Jewish rituals that we don't even do anymore. Uh, let me get through this. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay. No, this is actually talking about Jesus. And how do we know that it's directly talking about Jesus? Well, in the, in the Gospel of John... 1936, he says, these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. And I actually read this earlier. Not one of his bones will be broken. Yeah, not one of his bones will be broken. (laughs) So, Christ is indeed the Passover lamb. What looked like a meticulous and painful ordinance to us was actually a word about Jesus. Turn to Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. Jesus takes them. For example, he may have taken them to Zechariah 12.10 and started reading this prophecy. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. That's talking about me. And the disciples are going, no, that's talking about Israel. That's talking about Israel, the nation of Israel. Jesus, what are you talking about? That's talking about me. And Jesus is like, no, this is talking about me. Remember, after I died, the Roman soldier took a spear and pierced me in my side. And people looked upon me. This is in fulfillment. It's talking about me. Uh, turn to Psalm chapter... 22 verse 18, right? So we just looked at an example from the law of Moses, Exodus and Numbers. We looked at an example from the prophets, Zechariah. And let's look at if the Psalms were talking about Jesus as well. Psalm 22, 10, 22, 18. And you know, when I, when I read the New Testament, and this is what annoys Bible interpreters the most. New Testament writers frustrate and annoy Bible interpreters the most. You know why? Because Bible interpreters try to set up a structure that helps us to keep in the context, help us to honor the intent of the original author, helps us to keep the historical context in mind, and they believe that all those things contribute, that structure contributes to a correct understanding of the scriptures. And when they look at the New Testament writers, 
they're so frustrated because the New Testament writers don't follow any of those structures. So look at, let's look at Psalm 22, 18. Psalm 22, verse 18. Uh, look at verse 17. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And Jesus is like, let's talk about me. And they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? This is, who wrote this psalm? Psalm 22. This is a psalm of David. This is like, this is song lyrics. That were sung by a choir. Jesus, what are you talking about? How has this got to do with you? And Jesus is like, no, this is exactly talking about me. Remember that as I was going to the cross, they took my garments and divided among them. And they cast lots and they played games to divide who will get my garment. You see... When you look throughout the entire Old Testament, what you will find is everything points to Jesus Christ. That's really hard to find. It's hard to find. The reason I was able to find these are because I used the um, footnotes in the ESV and in other translations of the Bible. I just kind of follow the footnotes. And when it's quoted in the New Testament, they don't put a parenthesis and put this is found in the Old Testament. You know, they just kind of quote it. And sometimes the quotes are, are almost misquoted. Apostle Paul does this a lot. He'll kind of like almost alter it and misquote it. But then you have to understand that the, um, the Jews of that time didn't have a copy necessarily of the Hebrew Bible. They used the Greek copy of the Bible, which means that was the English of that time was Greek. And they had a Greek translation of the Bible called the Septuagint. And so the Septuagint, when you translate it from the Hebrew to the Greek, and they go from... And then you start to quote the Greek, and then you look back and compare it to the original Hebrew, it can look a little bit off. But nevertheless, if you look throughout the entire scriptures, it's all pointing to Jesus. And what I want to challenge all of us here today is that we need to learn how to get into the meat of God's word. We need to study the scriptures. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for illumination. Because when it comes down to it, all of scripture, there's a unity to the Bible. The whole counsel of God is pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. He is the word made flesh. He is the word of God incarnate. And uh, when we start to look at scripture with this in mind, and we start looking for not just milk, like, you know, have your quiet time, uh, rejoice in the Lord, you know, but you start really looking for meat that's going to strengthen us for the work that God has called us to do. So uh, turn with me to back to Luke 24. Luke 24, verses uh, 47. And 46 to 49, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Jesus eats the meat, then he feeds them meat, and then he says, you need to go out and you need to spread this meat. You need to import this meat. You need to get this meat to every nation out there. You know, if you are in the meat industry, I don't know anybody in the meat industry, but if you are in the meat industry, most of the meat that we eat here in Korea, I'm talking about beef, almost all of it is imported. And the meat that you try to eat here that is not imported, it's super expensive. It's called Han-u beef. And that joint is just like super expensive. It's like rich people eat it. And they feel good about themselves. But it, it tastes the same as American or Australian beef to me. I mean, But a lot of the meat is imported. And if you're in the meat packing industry, you know the importance of getting your meat out into the world. Because you believe in your meat. You know your meat is good. You know your meat is fresh. And you get that joint imported to all the world. And that's, that's got to be our same attitude. As we study the scriptures and it's illuminated to us. And we feed off of that meat. And we are, we are nourished by the word of God. Christ says here. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. All right, we need to spread the word of God. We need to import the meat that God gives us. Amen. And the key to spreading his uh, good news is here at the end, right? I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What is Jesus talking about here at the end? I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. He tells them to go, but he says, wait, before you go, you got to stay. And you need to stay and wait for the promise of my father. What is this talking about? Right? In Acts chapter 1, the same writer of Luke writes the uh, Acts of the Apostles. And he shows us what he meant by, what Jesus meant by the promise of the father. Right? Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. Turn there to Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. There's the same term. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told the disciples... After he resurrected, he said, you need this promise. You need the promise of my father to be fulfilled in you. So don't you go anywhere until you receive the promise of my father. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus talks about it. Right? John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promise of my father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's when we are able to not only eat meat, digest meat, take the meat, be nourished by the meat, but it's when we are able to import that meat. It's when we are able to spread the word of God to all the nations. And we're able to spread it with authority. We're able to spread it with power. When we spread the word of God, it is not just an exchange of knowledge or information. 
The word of God needs to be experienced when it is preached. If all you do is exchange and transfer information, you're not going to see the type of results that the word of God can bring forth. The Bible says the letter kills. Pastor Aaron talked about last week, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What we all need in order to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations, we need to be filled and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. All right, let's all close our eyes. Father, we just thank you so much that Jesus, you are alive. Yeah. Jesus, you are you are alive today. Not only are you enthroned in heaven, interceding for us on the right hand of the Father, but you are also alive today in our hearts. You're alive today in our lives. And as we learn to die to ourselves and live a new life and be the new creation we are in Christ, you are living in and through us, God. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that the good news that we have received, it is the good news that you want to send out into all of the world, even into places that are predominantly of another religion, even into Muslim nations, you want your truth to go. Even in Hindu nations where there is intense persecution, you want your word to go forth. You want to meet the revelation of your word to go forth into the nations. And God, we desire, we desire to faithfully obey that, Lord.